Hello and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Podcast. This is Carl from selfsufficienthub.com and we're here to talk all things self-sufficiency. Welcome to episode three. Today I want to talk very briefly about foraging. Foraging is a great hobby. As much as anything else, it's a lot of fun. Right now, we're all stuck, probably confined to our own homes and gardens and going a little bit stir crazy. If you're anything like me, I've got three kids and we're obviously like the rest of the planet nearly, it feels like, homeschooling at the moment. And I've been able to introduce my skill set as a forager to once or twice a weekly lesson, if you like, for our kids. It's a way of engaging them. It's a great way to upskill yourself. I've said thousands of times in the past, the best way to learn something is to teach it. So me teaching my children, they ask questions and make me think about the things I already know in new ways. So it's a great way to learn something. It might sound like a bit of a dichotomy or a contradiction, but the best way to learn something is to teach it because it forces you to think about things in a bit more depth. So I'm really enjoying learning a lot more about foraging as I'm teaching my children. Now, as I record this, It is very, very early April. Now, when it comes to mushrooms, there's not a great deal about at this time of year, but there are two or three. So I'm going to talk about them. And then I'm going to talk about the more common things that you can find around. Now, obviously, the podcast isn't the best medium to teach you how to identify different things, but I can go some way in that regard. What I would do is point all my listeners to my YouTube channel, which is Self Sufficient Hub. On there, there's lots and lots of foraging videos where I teach people how to identify different plants. So you might be thinking, there's not a lot I can forage for at the moment because I'm confined to my garden. Well, there's two things to say, and this will vary depending on where you are in the world, but we're allowed to leave our property to go on an exercise walk once a day within two kilometres of our house. Now, some people, you might live in a town or a city, and you might think there's not a lot you can find. For most of us, there is somewhere we can walk fairly near our property to get a bit of exercise, which is great. So there's that. But in addition, a lot of the things that we forage for, we can actually find in and around our homes and gardens. So it is worth having a look. And even if you can't really find anything worth foraging for in your garden, it's always worth having a look to identify your plants and upskill your skill set in that area anyway, because It works in layers. The more trees you identify, the easier it is to find certain types of mushrooms. The more plants you identify, the easier it is to identify other plants, even though they're not necessarily ones you know or are looking for right now. So the more time you spend outside, especially if you've got kids teaching them, the better it is for your long-term ability when it comes to foraging. Now, mushrooms. Everything I speak about when I'm talking about foraging and specific plants, I'm talking about a temperate climate. We, I'm obviously in the UK and I'm talking about the type of mushrooms that grow around me. Okay, so what's around right now? Well, there's two things growing right now that are considered really sought after by people who know their mushrooms. And they are the St. George's mushroom and the morel mushroom. Very, very different mushrooms in just about every way. So we're going to start with St. George's mushroom. St. George's mushroom grows on grassland and it's quite a meaty looking mushroom. It's 
an off-white colour and quite often grows in rings. Now the beauty of the St George's mushroom, you'll have to obviously find some images online, do your own research, but when you find something that looks like a St George's mushroom, it's pretty easy to identify it and then to rule out any nasty look-alikes. So go through all your usual identification procedures with, you know, what shape is it, what size is it, and everything else. Then, once you've done that, you ask yourself just two or three quite simple questions. The firstly is, is it growing in grassland? So if it's growing in grassland, there's not a lot else that looks like a St George's mushroom that's growing this time of year. So it's very important that you're looking at this time of year. Different things come up at different times of year and in the spring, growing in grassland looks like a St George's mushroom, can't really be very much else. Next thing, and a key identifier with the St George's mushroom, is to break it and give it a smell. If it smells mealy or flowery, that's another giveaway, that it can't really be anything else. So I love St George's mushrooms. They're one of my favourites to find, and it's very worth going out, having a look, even on your lawn, and seeing if you've got any growing around you. We were very lucky. I actually found some growing in our garden last year. Now, they're not here yet, but I'm checking every couple of days to see if they come back. Now, the second one is the morel. Now, morels are a very distinct looking mushroom. There are some poisonous lookalikes, but they're very, very easy to tell apart. The best piece of advice I can really give you is to have a look online. Find your identification website there. Cross-check it with a few different sites, but they're very, very easy to identify. So I'm not going to go into much depth here. What I will say is where you should be looking. They tend to grow in wood chip. Now, the joke on the internet amongst a lot of mushroom hunting communities is that you always find them in the car park of your local supermarket. Well, anywhere that's sort of landscaped in that kind of commercial way is a good place to look. But anywhere you've got wood chip in your garden or anywhere you've got wood chip on paths or manicured areas outside shops, these are all good places to find them. So now is when they're really out in their abundance. They're not that easy to find. They're very, very sought after, but it's always worth looking for. Now, there are a couple of other mushrooms that are kind of available almost all year round. For example, the Jew's ear or cloud ear, which grows on elder, damaged elder trees. I'm going to do a separate podcast about foraging for mushrooms at a later date. But for now, I just want to tell you that it's worth looking. It is worth looking. This time of year, there's two or three really nice varieties out there. Next, I wanted to talk about general plant foraging. Now, again, I'm not going to do much of an identification lesson here on this podcast because it's not the best medium for it. But there are great videos online. My channel has got lots and lots of identification videos. So that's the best resource for finding an individual type. But what I wanted to say really was some more general tips for foraging. So the first thing I would say is you need to be aware of the time of year. Whenever you're foraging, there are going to be different things available than there were six months ago or six months hence. So it's always worth narrowing down what you're looking for in your mind's eye on the time of year. Next thing is habitat. Now different things are going to grow in grassland than grow in hedgerows. It's always worth planning your route, planning your walk, thinking where am I going, what am I looking for? And then the final tip I'm going to say is pick two or three super common and super easy to identify species and go hunting for those. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you ignore everything else. You try and identify everything you can. But I find that with foraging, to the novice forager, it can be quite intimidating to say, right, I've got my book. I'm going to go out and start looking for plants because there's just so much out there. If you try and identify every single plant you step across, you're not going to get very far and you're going to get bogged down and confused and annoyed. At least that was how it was for me. So pick two or three super simple plants that you can A, identify and B, that you know you're likely to find. Now, I always like to start with a couple of simple ones like chickweed. Chickweed, I love to give as an example, as a good one to start out with, because it's got something that I call a forager's gift. It's got a key identifier that's super easy to remember and super easy to find. It has one row of hairs that runs down the stem, parallel to the stem. Doesn't have two rows, doesn't have random hairs. It has one row that runs down the stem. That's how you know you've got chickweed. So take a look at a book, find what chickweed looks like, and then use that key identifier as your sort of way of telling for sure that that's what you've got. The second one I want to talk about is wild garlic. Now, wild garlic is a personal favourite of mine. It's super easy to identify. The leaves can look a bit like lords and ladies, which are toxic, so make sure you familiarise yourself with both of those. However, it's got another key identifier, and that is it reeks of garlic. Now, I love the smell of garlic. Hopefully you do too. It can't be identified with anything else, or misidentified rather, because it does have that distinctive smell. So find out what they look like and go and find them. They tend to grow in woodlands and along the edges of woodland. Super common, and you tend to find them in huge swathes when you find them. The third one, and final one for today, would be common sorrel. Sorrel, I'm mentioning because of its frequency. I would be stunned. If you've got a patch of grass, a patch of lawn, you've almost certainly got some sorrel growing in it somewhere unless you have a particularly well-manicured lawn, which I certainly do not. Now, again, with regards to the identification features, you're better off finding an online resource or a book, but I'm talking purely about the frequency. It's definitely one that can be found. And we all know about the other really common ones. I don't tend to mention them very often because I think everybody already knows about them, but we all know stinging nettles, dead nettles, dandelions. These are all great edibles. Stinging nettle in particular is just a great resource for nutrients. So when you're building your whole self-sufficiency picture, for me, it's important to include a little bit of foraging in it because for me, it's a great hobby. It's really fun, really enjoyable. And you also get the added bonus of you're on a walk with your friends and you get to point out these edible plants that chances are they had no idea existed. So that's my brief rundown on foraging for today and how that makes up a small part of my self-sufficient life. If you find these podcasts valuable, there's several ways you can support them. The easiest is to leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. The other ways you can help us are by sending it to someone else, try and introduce it to new listeners, or blog about it, or include it in some way you post online. All the ways you support us really make a difference. Thanks for your help. See you on the next one.